Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is Nasser Pasha. And this is Matt Staub. Matthew Staub. And this is our business legal podcast where we cover business in the news with our legal twists and also answer some of your business legal questions that you can send the listener to ask at legallysoundsmartbusiness.com. Exactly. Use my full name. Matthew Staub. <laughs> now everyone's going to look you up on the phone books. Yeah. It was a big mystery before. Everyone didn't know what my full first name was, but you let everyone in on the secret. I forgot you were using a pseudonym, you know, for, yeah. for that. Well, what do we got start up for today? We're, we're covering GitHub, but my first question is, do you know what GitHub is? I'm just curious. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what GitHub is. It's a trick question because I think only like geeky programmers even have heard of the company because... It's a pretty neat, innovative tool. It's basically a great way to basically create a repository and post your code online for others to add on to it. But I think the best feature is also being able to create some kind of version control over the code. Because, you know, when you have multiple people working on it and it allows you to kind of go forward and back and test it and so forth. And not that I'm very intimately familiar with it, but I think I've participate in one GitHub project and that's pretty much it just to kind of learn how it works. But I, I think it's fascinating. But And I'm sure there are others out there, but they're pretty much the guys to go to when it comes to version control, when it comes to your programming. Okay. So that's why I haven't heard of it. No, I don't feel <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was a trick question. but I thought you were setting me up. So it sounds like I'm ignorant of everything, but yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm fine with not knowing what that is until right now. Yeah. I figured that. But the underlying story that involves GitHub or the GitHub scandal, I suppose, is involves a sexual harassment issue, a male coworker and a female coworker. And of course, as all these are, the facts are in dispute. So we don't really know where you're going to get a he said, she said, like you will in pretty much every situation. But this woman, and let me get her name here, uh, Julianne Horvath. Horvath, yeah. Is claiming she was harassed by leadership at GitHub for two years. So two years of harassment she put up with this, and one of which being the co-founder, so pretty high up exec there, Tom Preston Werner, he gave her verbal harassment. And his, his wife got involved at some point too. Like I said, it's not fully privy to all the facts, but then there was another issue too with, and I don't know if this is the same person or... I think it's a different person. I think so too. I just wasn't sure with how, it was kind of ambiguous of how it was stated. Another male person basically, one of her coworkers, a male coworker approached her wanting to date her and she declined. And then according to her, that led to him undermining her work and a whole slew of problems. Even though if you hear from the other end, that's not the story. But this basically gets to you know, harassment in the workplace. And we, we joke about it at times through the office, but this is a pretty serious issue, especially if what she's alleging is true. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, GitHub is in, in the tech startup industry, even though they've been around for a while, I think they would still be considered a startup company. But I think what's important to know is that in Silicon Valley and the like, and these companies women are hugely underrepresented. You know, I mean, think about the stereotypical programmer and so forth tend to be men. And those are the ones that are being hired right now. And so even the women programmers out there and the women in the tech industry aren't being hired in this industry. So this kind of story coming out of this uh, industry is definitely doesn't go well to 
some of the recent movements to get more women in, in the workplace and in this industry. But more importantly here is that what Matt mentioned, these kind of allegations are a business killer. And it's not only going to put negative publicity if it comes out in the open, and almost always it does, whether it's in a very local level or in this case, a national level, no one, whether it's the person that's alleging the lawsuit and harassment, nor the company comes out very good on this. But one thing you notice though, like you said, there's dispute of facts and we definitely can't even begin to say what exactly is true. But just to kind of give an example here is so this woman is alleging some harassment of a coworker, a male coworker. And then another story is from some other third party source unnamed, which I don't really like unnamed sources because it's hard to trust. But you know, she's saying that this person, this so-called male coworker was an ex-boyfriend and they were still on good terms and there was some other business dispute involved or whatever. But the point is, this company culture, there's, there's something weird about having such intertwinement of relationships and so forth. And I know when you have a company like this, you're going to have friends in the company. But sometimes when things go sour, what's going to happen next? How is that going to be handled in the workplace? And what are the legal implications of it? Yeah, exactly. And you talked for what, like a minute right there? And I ran through about 10 different <laughs> office episodes in my head, um, <laughs> one of which conveniently was the... Uh, and I don't, <laughs> I don't want to make light of the situation. If you know, a serious sexual harassment claim that the one where Michael gets in trouble and Toby's giving a sexual harassment presentation, and just Michael <laughs> comes in and ruins it. And I think that was the the dawning of that's what she said was the first episode with that. But yeah. getting back to this story, what I found was a little bit interesting. Like I said, we can't say either way what's true and what's not, but. This woman's info is linked in the article, and I went to her Twitter, and her first thing in her description was breaks, builds, comma, hearts. So she says she breaks hearts right off the bat, which is probably not what you <laughs> want to be saying in this situation. And True. she does, her picture is her you know, being interviewed in a radio show, and she does a lot of public speaking. So I'm hoping this isn't a situation where they're just trying to get publicity. Like I said, I'm not saying that's the case, but might want to dial it back a little bit if that's you know, these accusations, you want them to hold up. The relationship in the office issue is another thing too. And that's, I think what you need to do is follow the office in this way and, and get it approved through the uh, HR person, I, I suppose. have something, <laughs> You need to have something in place. I want to say you necessarily need to flat out ban it because I've seen couples that have worked together and I didn't know for months that they were even dating. But at the other end, you have those much worse situations. What you're addressing is a, is a very hard thing. I think companies have gone back and forth whether to allow office relationships or not. And I think the trend that I'm seeing with most companies is that they allow it but disclose it. And understand why, because in pretty much every state, when it comes to sexual harassment and so forth, one of the defenses is that, and this I don't want to make this come across poorly, but basically for it to be sexual harassment, they have to prove that it's unwelcome. So if it's a mutual attraction and mutual conduct, then it's very difficult to make it sexual harassment. So when you disclose the relationship that they're in a relationship, then you're pretty much acknowledging, okay, we are attempting to date or do whatever. And so I'm disclosing to you that this is by my consent and I'm welcoming this action. The problem is, of course, is what happens when that point stops when a girlfriend or boyfriend becomes an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend, right? That can complicate things either way. Yeah, I think that's what they're probably most worried about, especially, you know, that's what this story, at least one side is is claiming, and that just makes everything much more difficult 
in the office. I mean, we har- one of the things we always harp on on these shows is how important culture is with your employees and with your business. So that's just not going to make culture any better. At least it has a very slim chance of making it better, I suppose. No doubt. Let's jump into the question of the day. Is it a good idea to get a patent before I start my company or wait down the road? And this comes from Silicon Valley in California, maybe from the new show on HBO. I don't know if you've seen that <laughs> called Silicon Valley. It's pretty funny. It's pretty extreme, but it's, it's pretty funny. I haven't caught it yet, but I've heard good things. I'm going to start recording those episodes. For people that don't know me, the amount of time I spend talking about TV shows on this podcast is <laughs> not anywhere close to the amount of time I actually watch TV. <laughs> I think I'm the same way. It makes it seem like all I do is watch TV, which is, I really don't. But any, I just had to put that in there in case people are wondering. I don't watch TV. I just read a lot of pop culture just to keep up with things. So that's how I have knowledge of The Office and so forth. I read the episode notes and what happened in the scripts, but I don't watch it. That's just me. So anyway, is this a good idea to get a patent? I wish we had a, we should have got Mark Wisnotsky to call in to, uh, he's our patent attorney to answer this question, but I think we can attempt it. I know what Mark's going to say. I mean, a patent attorney is going to always going to say to do it as early as you can in general with consideration of costs and so forth, because once you have the patent and establish it, sometimes that provides tremendous value to your business and allows you to raise money. It allows you to do other things and makes partnerships. It protects your idea and allows you to do business with others in a way that doesn't risk losing your intellectual property, especially if you've already uh, actually successfully gotten the patent. But I think there's more practical considerations, though, when considering this. Yeah, there's a bunch of considerations, but sometimes you know the intellectual property is your business. So if that's the case, you need to get that set up as soon as possible. But on the flip side, the reason people might not get a patent right away is because getting one is extremely expensive going through the process. Absolutely. I mean, any kind of technical patent from a legal cost is going to range. And obviously, this is going to depend upon the attorney and the complications of your patent itself. But maybe at minimum, six or $7,000. But after that, it can get way up there in 15, 20, even more, depending upon the complexity. And, and what small business starting out has that kind of cash to invest in that? And it might be a difficult decision to make, but unfortunately, that's the only way to protect your idea. And that's part of the process of capitalizing your business and putting a budget together is you have to start thinking about hard legal costs that are going to come up front pretty quickly. Right. And it's just more of when you can do it, I guess, is when I would say go for it. Because if it really is a great idea, you want to get locked up as soon as possible, but definitely understand that it's a financial strain. And it's that is a lot of money for any startup to have right off the bat to allocate towards getting that patent in place. Absolutely. Okay. I think we answered that question pretty well. I think so. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. That was our show for today. A good Friday. Well, it was a good Friday episode, but it's not good Friday. <laughs> I guess that was kind of confusing. Oh, I guess we, we didn't tell people if they have their own questions, they can send it in to ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. Also, we've been picking up a lot of iTunes rankings or ratings recently or reviews, rankings, ratings, reviews, one of those R's. So we would appreciate it if you like the podcast, go ahead and you know, give us a nice review. If you don't like the podcast, then they probably aren't listening anyway, so I don't need to tell them. Forget you. Why would they be listening? But, but yeah, that'd be great. And yeah, that's it. Friday episode. As always, keep it sound and keep it smart. 
This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.